Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to a fresh episode of the cast. Today, in honor of where the show falls on the calendar, we're discussing a group of individuals specifically recognized for their achievements and virtuosity, also known as saints. That's right, snake birds. What a fantastic November morn to be with you today. And I'm just so giddy this time of year because fall is my favorite time of year. I'm pretty sure yes. Green Day's song, Wake Me Up When September Ends, it was written, I think, specifically for me. Oh. <laughs> but we're also, like Josh said, highlighting this episode in relation to this month because the first of November happens to be All Saints Day. Yeah. And Josh and I thought, it'd, what better time to do an episode on some historical saints of the church? And uh, here we are. Hope that you enjoy this very historical episode, I would say, of some of the saints that have gone before us. Yes. And now I've got that song, 21st of September, stuck in my head. Do you remember? Okay. Not Green Day, for sure. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to admit, when we first decided we were going to do this topic, I was excited until I started the research. Because I swear, I had these flashbacks of high school because at first, my study corner felt like some hardcore homework. (laughs) But as I got into reading about some of these saints that, quite frankly, I didn't know much about before this, I really started to enjoy, almost like reading a biography, the details of of their lives and what they did. It it, it took a turn for for more joy than homework. Yeah, yeah. And I... I really have enjoyed cheering for them uh, until Drew Brees retired, that is. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm like, just full of dad jokes tonight. I, I know you got some more. Yeah, I've been singing about how they've been marching in for a long yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could keep going. Let's see. Um, no, I, I think it's a, a, important to acknowledge what a saint is, especially in the Catholic Church versus the Christian faith. And um, just just to give a definition, because that's usually what we do as snake birds, is a saint is a person who is recognized as having an exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God. That's about as bare bones of a definition that you can get. Yeah. Of course, there's like there's the saints that have passed on that have been canonized as mm-hmm. you know religious figures, and we can talk about what that means as we go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some churches look at at saints of old and all saints day itself um, in a very particular way. Uh, For for example, the the Catholic faith seems to hold a a very particular view of how we should look at them um, and the day. And others have a much more lax view uh, of how they they view uh, the more orthodox. I don't even Mm -hmm. know if you call it orthodox, but there's some definite divides in how people look at these things. And it, it is important from the get-go that the Bible speaks of all believers, true believers mm-hmm. as saints. Yes. Yeah, and and I just wanted to be clear that while we acknowledge that the Bible says 
those who are in the faith are saints. Uh, I remember one pastor calling them, they're saints and there's ain'ts. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds have like ever, he was from the South. Have you ever heard that? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, for us, this is a deep dive into some amazing individuals who hold that esteemed title, and we're going to just explore their backstory and the reason that they are recognized as saints. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a cool look into history and and just some of these men that have dedicated their lives to God and, and are some of the um, fathers of the church, you might yeah. say, in a way that uh, that paved the way in early Christianity, some later than others. And it's just going to be a cool historical look. And I know I have one more thing that I want to mention uh, before we get into it. But Josh, you, what, what were you fixing to say? Oh, I just was going to say that while we went on this uh, biographical um, boat ride, <laughs> nice. I don't know. It, it was. It surely was. Um, I also went down a rabbit hole looking into patron saints because I've always thought this was a really interesting thing. And so I found that patron saints are chosen as special protectors or guardians over areas of life. These areas can include occupations, illnesses, churches, counties, causes, anything that's important to us. The earliest records show that people in churches were named after apostles and martyrs as early as the 4th century. Recently, the popes have named patron saints, but patrons can be chosen by other individuals and groups as well. Uh, Patron saints are often chosen today because of an interest, talent, or event their lives overlap with in a special area. Angels can also be named as patron saints. Go figure. (laughs) A patron saint can help us when we follow the example of that saint's life and when we ask for that saint's intercessory prayers to God. That's one of the views that the Catholic Church has is that they can pray to that person because they've experienced that area of expertise or knowledge. And that's that's the saint that can pray intercessorily for them, oh, which wow. is something that we don't necessarily agree with because Jesus Christ is our mediator and our intercessor. And there's no reason to go to a man when we can go directly to God. Yes. But, for example, St. Francis of Assisi loved nature, and so now he's the patron saint of ecologists. There's another woman who... um, was named, I think Claire, her name is, of a sissy, was named the patron saint of television because one Christmas she was too ill to leave her bed and she saw and heard the Christmas mass on TV. And so <laughs> wow. all of a sudden she became this, the patron saint of television. And I thought um, I'd look up some of the interesting ones real quick and kind of just give out what there are actually patron saints for, if that's okay. Yeah. Some of these are in alphabetical order, so you'll just have to bear with me. Um, one is uh, abdominal pains, <laughs> wow. actors, protection against mice, air travelers, alcoholism, uh, donkeys or asses, uh, <laughs> backward children, bird dealers, which is John the Baptist. I don't know why he got assigned bird dealers. Uh, he ate um, the loca. Carnies, <laughs> uh, charcoal burners. Uh, dog bites, wow. uh, fruit dealers, uh, funeral directors. The patron saint of funeral directors is Joseph of Arimathea. So wow. somebody had a pretty good um, sense of humor there. Oh, no kidding. Uh, fencing is Michael the Archangel. <laughs> like like building of fences or sword fight. I'm pretty sure it's sword fighting, well, but I was just thinking of you being in fencing. That'd That's be right. kind of interesting. That would. You're like, as you're driving stakes down, Michael the Archangel. Yeah. 
Hear me as I fence. <laughs> Drive thy post deep. <laughs> there's a there's a patron saint of herpes. Wow. Um, there's a patron saint of lost keys or against losing keys. Um, of course, Jude is the famous patron saint of lost causes. Uh, there's a lot of movies that reference that. Uh, there's a patron saint of Montana, and her name is Our Lady of the Pines, which... Come on, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, nail makers, playing card manufacturers, which I didn't even know they needed a patron saint. Racket makers, sick horses, spasms, and whales. Uh, and that's just a short, short, short um, extrapolation of a very, very long list of saints. You know, I didn't realize that it was that... Um... I can't even think of the word, but there's so many just every day. It's very Pantheon-like. Yes. Yeah, which is interesting because um, come to find out, this was actually uh, a common practice uh, way before Catholicism did this. Uh, uh, because they were sense. patron gods yes. of um, certain areas or certain types of things. Like uh, Baal was the god of thunderstorms and uh, the god of um, like future knowledge. And so I think that's where we get like Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies kind of things. Yeah. And so there's always been some sort of um, attribution of uh, some sort of earthly aspect to uh, little G gods. Yeah. I, I have this flashback of a, a show I watched a long time ago where these two Roman soldiers are arguing, One where one of them brings up, uh, I don't know if the god of boots really exists. You know, apparently there's some <laughs> name. He was like, yeah. what are you talking about? And he was yeah. like, he's like, well, look, I've got these fine boots. If there's no god of boots, we wouldn't have these fine boots. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, they got in this big <laughs> argument. And well, it reminds me of that. And not to dunk on Catholicism, because that sounds like something that'd be easy to do on, on our podcast, because, you know, I understand there are certain things that we've even identified in Catholicism that I was like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then once we studied it, come to find out there's a little more to it than, than I thought. But this does seem like a um, like a marrying of a worldview of saying we have to have these certain things attributed to certain things, and yeah. it just to me it feels a little off. Well, you know, and I, I wasn't raised in the Catholic Church, and so a lot of like you said, there's things that look weird to me that when we study it, there's oh, there's a little more to it, mm -hmm. and and so there might be some of that going on. But I, I agree with you; it's very odd um, in some of those ways how it's looked at. But yeah. In in spirit of that um, that angle, I did want to bring um, a, a quote that I had because. We're going to be highlighting and looking at some men that decided to follow God very radically. Mm -hmm. And that's what got them recognized by other people and, and led to their canonized sainthood and mm -hmm. all, all of that stuff. But we're going to be looking at just some of the characteristics of people who have landed in history books because of their decision to follow God. Yes. But... um I want to read a quote by Paul Washer here. I'd actually prepared this as my ending, but I thought about it, and this statement's one that should be a foundational understanding rather than a, a takeaway point. So okay. I usually don't start my study with a, a gloomy quote, but I really felt the need because it's so true. So here's what Paul Washer says. I really don't like the way we talk about men of God today. It just makes me nauseous. I don't believe it. Why did some people have unusual prayer lives? Well, their strength of will, their discipline, their devotion, their godliness. No, stop exalting men. I don't believe it. 
I believe it was this. They saw their need. They realized they were the run of the litter. They were the lesser one to walk into a room. They realized they had nothing. They realized that if God did not move on their behalf, it was hopeless. And that's what did it. And that's why I don't want someone to ever look at anyone and think, oh my goodness, they're so spiritual, they're so this, they're so that. No. And if they think they're that, then they're not what they think they are. It's need. It's weakness. But He can do all things, and I can do all things with the context of His will when He is moving. So I quote St. Washer there, not to take away from any of these amazing stories we're about to hear, but to put them in their proper place. Yes. Because we are all equal in Christ, none any better, none any worse. And I hope that doesn't sour the waters for any listeners out there, but I think it's a foundational thing going into reading about these men that uh, we're not elevating these men because of their righteousness. No. We're, we're looking into their lives and, and hopefully pulling away some um, practices that they might have had or um, to be aware of some practices they might have had mm-hmm. to better our relationship with God because of you know their story and how they chose to follow them. So I, I thought that was an important thing to look at at the beginning, that we're not elevating men. No, exactly. Yeah, and and it's really neat to be called a saint by the Lord. It's really neat yeah. to realize that once we have the righteousness of Jesus upon us, we are saints. Yeah. I think it'd be strange to go around calling each other Saint Josh or Saint Stephen. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but to acknowledge that it's not our righteousness that gives us any credence, it's only Jesus's. And that's why, um, like Paul Washer said, that's why God is who he is. That's why he's our sufficiency. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things, it's like when Paul said, I can't remember the address, but he's like, follow my example. Mm. It's men of old that have have seeked after God, and, and we can pull some good things from their lives yeah. to follow an example. Yeah. I think it's uh, in First Corinthians like 9 or 10, imitate yeah. me as I imitate Christ or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's, that's kind of the angle we're coming at this from. Sweet. So, Josh, we um, we did a, a little pool to see who was going to land on a few of these guys. Yeah. I've got three, and Josh has three. Yes. So, um, who goes first? Should we should we eeny, meeny, miny, mow this? Let's Rochambeau right now. Oh, that's you. Okay. We're not doing best of it. We're that, I, I won. <laughs> <laughs> we did rock, paper, scissors, in case you were wondering. I got rock, and Josh had scissors, so it looks like I won. You did. Okay, that takes us directly, folks, to St. Francis of Assisi. And this saint was born around 1182 A.D., died October 3, 1226. He was canonized by the Catholic Church uh, July 16, 1228, so canonized two years after his death. Uh, One historical site noted that Francis, who earned the nickname The Poor Little Man, is one of the most venerated religious figures in Roman Catholic history, and he and St. Catherine of Siena are the patron saints of Italy. In 1979, Pope John Paul II recognized him as the patron, uh, as Josh said earlier, the patron saint of ecology. And boy, is there a tale to tell about the life that Francis lived, starting with the fact that his birth name wasn't even Francis at all. So let's dive into his life. Before our character was known as Francis, he was named Giovanni, which I saw translated to being named after John the Baptist. 
And as the story goes, this child was born while his father, uh, named Pietro, I think it's, I'm Pietro, Pietro. I'll say it probably both ways throughout this, but (laughs) he was away at business and his mother had him baptized and given the name Giovanni. But when her husband returned home, he was furious because he didn't want his son to be a man of the cloth or even have a religious uh, connotation at all. Uh, Pietro wanted a son who would reflect the magnificence of France and to become uh, a great businessman like he was, specifically a high-end cloth merchant like he was. So I guess you could say he really did want his son to be a man of the cloth, just a different type. (laughs) But anyways, his, his father renamed his son Francesco, which essentially means Frenchman. Thus, we now know him as Francis. But because Pietro was such a wealthy businessman, Francis grew up with a very easy life. And like they say, idle hands do the devil's work. And Francis, a bored, spoiled rich kid with nothing to work for, started to drift into, you could say, like a less than holy life. Uh, He became a leader of local boys who partied all night. He got lost in sin for some time in his youth. And that really surprised me because this was my first saint in the study corner. And I just I didn't expect to hear that. Yeah. Um, But we're going to see that that's going to be a common theme with at least a couple of them. (laughs) But um, it's just not the beginnings I I thought a canonized saint would have. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, young Francis would go on um, after this, after his his youthful um, gang leader of the local mischief boys to fight in a war between Assisi and Perugia. I almost said that wrong, in uh, 1202. And he was actually held as a prisoner of war for nearly a year. Um, And then he was released only to join uh, papal forces in the fight against Emperor Frederick II in uh, Apulia. Man, these are going to be, these are going to get me. They're going to get me. Y'all bear with me, though. Um, So after all of this worldly lifestyle um, and then going to fight in these wars, he ended up having a religious dream slash vision on a journey back from battle. And this experience he had was so impactful that he decided to dedicate himself to solitude and prayer in order to discover whatever it was God was calling him to in this in this experience that he had on the way back from battle. And from this point, he really started to develop a strong dislike for the wealthy life that he wants to had that he was so comfortable in. It kind of, when I got to this point, it kind of reminded me of the story of Christopher McCandless. I don't know if you know who he is, but there's a movie and a book, Into the Wild, about Mm -hmm. how he was raised in this really wealthy environment, and he just, he got so disgusted with it. He sold everything and just went into poverty, and he enjoyed it. And he he had a degree in college. It it really made me have kind of um, parallel flashes between their lives, if anyone else has seen that. Um, not the best movie to watch, but the book was really good. Is that where he dies on the school bus? Yes, he okay. dies in Alaska on the school okay. bus. But it, okay. it reminded me a lot of Francis at this point. Um, he, he willingly began to live like a vagabond during a, a pilgrimage to Rome. And he would only mingle with beggars and lepers. So he was diving hard into that. Yeah. Um, just have nothing to do with wealth. Wow. Uh, one account even stated that after... He gave alms to a leper near St. Peter's Basilica. He kissed the leper's hand, which, I mean, that's that's a statement right there. <laughs> that's brave. He was really uh, making some radical choices to emulate Christ in the closest way he could, mm-hmm. which kissing a leper would definitely be along those lines. Yeah. 
Um, but it's at this point where things start to get pretty interesting in Francis's life. According to uh, his biographer, who actually knew him personally, I thought that was unique, just outside the gates of Assisi at the damaged chapel of San... I'm going to say this wrong. San Domino, Francis heard the crucifix above the altar say the following to him. Go, Francis, and repair my house, which, as you see, is well nigh in ruins. So... Francis takes this literally, and he goes on to take some of his father's high-end cloth and rode to the nearby town where he sells the cloth and the, the horse he stole to haul it for money and takes that money back to the priest at the chapel, the damaged chapel at uh, San Domino, to fix the chapel up. Wow. But the priest refuses the money, and Francis throws it out the window. He's just like, ah, oh, I, I did this. You know, <laughs> you won't take it. And when I've Francis, already committed larceny. Yeah, exactly. And when Francis's father discovered the theft of the fine cloth and horse, he summons the civil authorities, of which Francis totally ignores the summons. And then it went to the Bishop of Assisi because, you know, he tried to go to the local authorities, then it went straight to the bishop. Yeah. And a Catholic record states the following... Pietro dragged Francis before the bishop and in front of the whole town demanded that Francis return the money and renounce all rights as his heir. The bishop was very kind to Francis. He told him to return the money and said God would provide. That was all Francis needed to hear. He not only gave back the money, but stripped off all of his clothes, the clothes his father had given him, until he was wearing only a hair skirt. In front of the crowd that had gathered, he said, Pietro... Barnardon, oh, that's a terrible pronunciation of that last name, <laughs> Bernardon, is no longer my father. From now on, I can say with complete freedom, our father who art in heaven. Wow. Wearing nothing but cast off rags, he went into the freezing woods singing. And when robbers beat him later and took his clothes, he climbed out of the ditch and went off singing again. So this is just a crazy scene, but it, it was a, a real turning point in his life. It, it was just wild that he uh, he thought he heard that the chapel and the yeah. ruins. He stole the stuff, and then he had another epiphany before the bishop. Just a wild a wild part that took me off guard as I studied this. It sounds a little like Gideon, where he takes his dad's um, oxen and oh. and makes the barbecue and offers it to the Lord. I and, didn't even think. And about they that. wake up and they're smelling it, and the dad's like, "What did you do?" <laughs> right? You know, he's like, "That was my prize bowl." No kidding. I, I didn't even think about that. That's true. But it works out better for Gideon than it does for yeah, Francis, no doubt. So it, just a, a wild scene. But it, this this scene and this little this little time here was uh, the real turning point in his life, where he dove even harder into embracing poverty to seek God. Mm. And for the sake of time, I'll kind of condense the rest of the story. But basically, Francis would go on to obsess over an impoverished life of aggressively preaching the gospel, even though he was unlicensed by the church to do so. Back in those days, you kind of had to be licensed to do such a thing. Yeah. Um, but after leading 12 of his own disciples to Rome, people started to follow after Francis, um, unsanctioned or sanctioned or not. They were following him as their leader. And it led to the founding of the Franciscan orders of Friars Minor, the Women's Order of St. Clair, and the Lay Third Order. I sounded 
a lot like uh, something Palpatine would come up with in Star Wars, the Third Order. I love democracy. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't expect anyone out there to know what any of those orders or, or anything was. I certainly didn't. But these Francesian orders became a pretty big deal. I'm sure if you're Catholic, you, you're very familiar. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, but they grew through Italy, Spain, and many Muslim regions. Um, and the orders themselves developed a hierarchy of their own, much like the Catholic Church as we know it now does or has. And they grew so quickly that there was no real training for the hierarchy within it, other than Francis's example in living. And that being the case, um, Francis noticed that. He was like, there's, there's not structure and we have some issues. Uh, he decreed that Absolute personal and corporate poverty was the essential lifestyle for the members of his orders. Hmm. And that was the criteria for everyone. It, and it, it seemed to work because, at least to some degree, because it kept growing throughout the years and went on. But to give you an idea of the founding beliefs and ideals um, that Francis had in these orders, he considered all of nature to be the mirror of God to the extent of calling all creatures his brothers and sisters. He went as far as to preach to birds and even pleaded with a wolf one time, it's recorded, that was attacking the people and livestock of a certain town. And, and he pleaded with the people to feed the wolf in order to bring peace in nature. Wow. It was uh, it's quite a thing. Uh, he also referred to the sun as brother sun, the moon as sister moon, the wind and water as sister death. He called his bodily ailments sister as well. Uh, it's recorded that he begged pardon of brother ass the body for having unduly burdened him with his penances. Hmm. So very, very interesting outlook that he had. A very different environment, to say the least, from what we would be used to as far as the how he looked at things and I guess I don't know. There's 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 a lot of new age stuff that sounds very similar to that these days. Yeah, but, um, Sister Moon. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it really has a feel to me, almost a little bit like Hinduism. I there would be some Catholic listeners out there that strongly disagree with me saying that, but like in my mind when I hear all that, it was it was very much like that in my mind, and that's because I probably have not heard the Catholic, you know, reasons for why he called stuff that way. Sure. Anyway, uh, those were some of the practices pushed by Francis' example. And the last place I'll go with a story of Francis is the weirdest by far. Uh, it takes place in the summer of 1224 when Francis went to the Mount uh, mountain of Laverna to celebrate a religious feast. And he prepared for St. Michael's Day by fasting for 40 days. And it's written by St. Bonaventure, that St. Francis had a vision during this time of a heavenly creature that approached him. And as the vision ended, uh, Bonaventure writes the following. Pondering what this vision might mean, he finally understood that by God's providence, he would be made like to the crucified Christ, not by a bodily martyrdom, but by conformity in mind and heart. Then, as the vision disappeared, it left not only a greater adorer of love in the inner man, but no less marvelously marked him outwardly with the stigmata of the crucified. Mm. So, if you don't know what the stigmata is, it's the wounds that Christ had on his hands, you know, from being nailed to the cross and the marks that were put on him. And the, the story goes on to mention that Francis hid these stigmata marks on his body for the rest of his life. But when he died, he appeared to be a man freshly taken off the cross. 
And then Francis wow. was canonized as a saint two years uh, after his death by Pope Gregory the Ninth. Yeah. So obviously we've got some stuff that have has been passed on. I would say uh, mythological type of thing that that uh, and, and I'm not the type that that. Um, I'm not a cessationist or anything like that, but there's, I'm a skeptic on on this one for sure. Mm-hmm. But that is the uh, the stories that have been handed down after Saint Francis of Assisi. Wow, and, and quite a life, I'd say. Yeah, I uh, read somewhere that he was the first one to institute a live nativity scene. For oh, Christmas. Wow. I hadn't yeah. thought that. Yeah. That's interesting. So I thought that's really interesting that now um, those people that have to be out there to freeze uh, in the <laughs> December cold <laughs> can thank St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah thank uh, uh, bro- Brother Ask the Body for your <laughs> for your coldness. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> brother. Uh, oh, man. Sister cold. Yeah. Winch cold. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was thinking of like, Dad, fine, take your clothes back and just like throwing a tantrum and stripping down. Yeah, yeah, stripped down to the to a hair loincloth and yeah. made it made his statement. He has spoken all the part before yeah. the people and induced off. That just sounds like such a teenage move, like fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't I didn't buy these pants here, you know. And yeah. the next thing you know, he's just like in his calf socks and well, like, and, the, and that was kind of round too because the first one was he chunked the money out the window before yeah the, yeah so yeah. he it seemed like uh he had a history of of um impulsive moves of of dis uh yeah whatever all that was <laughs> i mean it i guess we could surmise that maybe growing up somewhat um, wealthy, yeah, you know, just like look at this money and just bah, it makes you know, sense. What well, is the it? whole the whole <laughs> attitude makes sense. Yeah, I think we can see that in our modern age. You yeah, know? the stigmata stuff just sounds so interesting. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm not a doubter in in crazy things that God has done. I I don't mean crazy in disres- disrespectful way, but mm-hmm. like uh, amazing, miraculous things that yeah. God God might allow on the earth. But that's yeah. uh, Boy, that's that's out there. There's a lot of mythological um, mentions in some of these saints, especially towards the end of their lives, mm-hmm. on things that possibly happened. Yes. I'm glad they're not canonized because it's like I, I think we wrestle with some of the things that are true and that are not true. I mean, of yeah. course, these saints in the Catholic faith are canonized as saints, but I'm glad they're not part of the canon of Scripture going, hey, did that really happen? Yeah, yeah. It's is very it's always been very interesting to me that what what it has been canonized in actual scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some churches consider certain books and others don't, but yeah. uh, but I've always found it I've found it miraculous the way the Bible has been sure. canonized personally. Oh yes. Oh yeah, it's an act of God. Yeah. Um is it true? Have you heard this that in order to be now recognized as a saint in modern times, you have to have performed two miracles? Have you heard that? I haven't heard how many. I, I have heard some criteria in the past by a few Catholic friends that I've had. Okay, um, but I, I haven't dove deep into okay. the criteria. Oh. 
This sounds crazy, but I think I've heard the criteria from a, a comedian who said, now the Catholic Church is requiring you to do two miracles, as if one wasn't enough. <laughs> you, the first one didn't take. Okay, let me do my second one. So, Dude, I just had a flashback to Joaquin Phoenix in Signs, where he's like, I'm a miracle man. She could have thrown up in my face, but it didn't happen. I'm a miracle man. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just where my mind goes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Now I'm focusing on signs. Sw- yeah. Swing away, Merle. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that terrified me as a child. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I remember. I wasn't really a child either, so that's embarrassing. I saw that on like my twenty-first birthday. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm a child compared to my age now. <laughs> when I was a child, I spoke as a child. <laughs> I saw childish movies. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Anyway, that's a uh, that's Saint Francis of Assisi. Wow. Yeah, quite a character. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have Polycarp. Ah, oh, nice. So one of the uh, earliest saints on record other than the apostles themselves. And so imagine being able to sit at the feet of the apostles and hear their stories of life with Jesus from their own lips. Imagine walking with those who had walked with Jesus, seen him and touched him. That was what Polycarp was able to do as a disciple of John the apostle. But being part of the second generation of church leaders had challenges that the first generation could not teach about. What do you do when those eyewitnesses were gone? How do you carry on with the correct teachings of Jesus? How do you answer new questions that had never come up before? With the apostles gone, heresies sprang up, pretending to be true teaching. Persecution was strong and controversies arose on how to celebrate liturgy that Jesus had never laid down rules for. Polycarp, as a holy man and bishop of Smyrna, found that there was only one answer— to be true to the life of Jesus and imitate that life. St. Ignatius of Antioch told Polycarp, your mind is grounded in God as on an immovable rock. I mean, what a thing to have said of you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, no kidding. Your mind is grounded in God as an immovable rock. When faced with heresy, he showed the candid face that Ignatius admired and that imitated Jesus's response to the Pharisees. This was a really interesting little tidbit I found. Marcion, the leader of the Marcionites, who followed a dualistic heresy, confronted Polycarp and demanded respect by saying, Recognize us, Polycarp. Acknowledge me. (laughs) Polycarp responded, I recognize you. Yes, I recognize the son of Satan. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's very brood of vipers of him. This dude is hardcore. It gets better. Polycarp faced persecution the way Christ did. His own church admired him for following the gospel model, not chasing after martyrdom as some did, but avoiding it until it was God's will as Jesus did. They considered it a sign of love to desire not to save oneself, but to save also all the Christian brothers and sisters. One day during a bloody martyrdom, when Christians were attacked by wild animals in the arena, the crowd became so mad that they demanded more blood by crying, down with the atheists. Let Polycarp be found. They considered Christians atheists because they didn't believe in their pantheon of gods. Wow. Since Polycarp was not only known as a leader, but as someone holy, even before his gray hair appeared, this was a horrible demand. Polycarp was calm, but others persuaded him to leave the city and hide at a nearby farm. He spent his time in prayer for people he knew and for the church. During his prayer, he saw a vision of his pillow turned to fire and announced to his friends, 
friends that the dream meant that he would be burned alive. As the search closed in, he moved to another farm, but the authorities discovered he was there by torturing two boys. He had little warning since he was upstairs in the house, but he decided to stay, saying, God's will be done. Then he went downstairs, talked to his captors, fed them a meal. All he asked of them was that they would give him an hour to pray. He spent two hours praying for everyone that he had ever known and for the church, remembering all that who at any time had come his way, small folk and great folk, distinguished and undistinguished, and the whole church throughout the world. Many of his captors started to wonder why they were arresting this holy 86-year-old bishop. Wow. But that didn't stop him from taking him to the arena on the Sabbath. As he entered the arena, the crowd roared like animals. Those around Polycarp heard a voice from heaven above the crowd saying, Be brave, Polycarp, and act like a man. The proconsul begged the 86-year-old bishop to give in because of his age. Say away with the atheist, the proconsul urged. Polycarp calmly turned his face to the crowd, looked straight at them, and said, Away with the atheist. The proconsul continued to plead with them. When he asked Polycarp to swear by Caesar to save himself, Polycarp answered this in a punk rock manner. <laughs> That's all I can imagine. Because right. he goes, If you imagine I will swear by Caesar, you don't know who I am. Let me tell you plainly, I am a Christian. Finally, when all else failed, the proconsul reminded Polycarp that he would be thrown to the wild animals unless he changed his mind. Polycarp answered, Change of mind from better to worse is not a change allowed to us. Wow. But because of Polycarp's lack of fear, the proconsul told him that he would be burned alive, but Polycarp knew that the fire that burned for an hour was better than eternal fire. When he was tied up to be burned, Polycarp prayed, Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, God of angels and powers of the whole creation of the whole race of the righteous who live in your sight, I bless you. Having made me worthy of this day and hour, I bless you because I may have part along with the martyrs in the chalice to your Christ, to the resurrection of eternal life, resurrection of both the soul and body in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. May I be received today as a rich, acceptable sacrifice among those who are in your presence, as you have prepared and foretold and fulfilled God who is faithful and true. For this and for all benefits, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom be to you with him and the Holy Spirit glory, now and for all the ages to come. Amen. Wow. And uh, that's from one account. Another account, which is Fox's Book of Martyrs, said that before the Prowl Council, Polycarp said this, 80 and 6 years I have served the Lord my God, and he has never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? And at the stake to which he was tied, not nailed as usual, as he assured them he would stand immovable, the flames on their kindling encircled his body like an arch without touching him. And the executioner, on seeing this, was ordered to pierce him with a sword. 
And so that's what Fox's Book of Martyrs, the other account says this, a fire was lit as Polycarp said amen. And then the eyewitnesses who reported uh, said that they saw a miracle. The fire burst up like an arch around Polycarp, the flames surrounding him like sails. And instead of being burned, he seemed to glow like bread baking or gold being melted in a furnace. When the captors saw that he wasn't being burned, they stabbed him. The blood that flowed out of him put the fire out. Wow. I mean, those are just accounts, but I've heard that several times from different areas. And I can only imagine an 86-year-old man who's just so on fire for God. And it's like, I'm not going to bend the knee. I'm not going to bow to your idols. And that's uh, amazing. Yeah. I just, that one part that you said the crowd was roaring and he looked to the crowd and he said to them away with the atheists. Yes. And that's, that's where I think that it's like, okay, they looked at them as atheists because he was, you know, they didn't receive their pantheon of gods. But I think he looked at all of them and is like, you're an atheist because you are without uh, Elohim. Okay, he was he was directing it to them as them being atheists. Yes. Okay. I, I'm fairly certain that was a very sarcastic remark where he was like, "It would oh, have been I'll, sarcastic." Either I'll way. do what you want me to do, but I'm not <laughs> yeah. bowing. Yeah. 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 Th- that's just a gritty thing to say yeah. to a crowd. Just, yeah. I, I imagine just this this stone cold face of just away with the atheist. Well, it and just, I think that's, that's his whole idea was that he was immovable. Yeah. Like even when they went to put him in the fire, he's like, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to run from this. I'm going to stay here because he'd already resigned his fate. And yet even in that God showed up in a miraculous way yeah, and not allowing him to be burned, but getting stabbed instead it reminds me of of when jesus set his face like flint to jerusalem to his destiny you know it's it's mm-hmm. kind of the spirit of christ within him yeah the same thing yeah yeah and just them being like deny christ and he's like i can't yeah i gotta do it that's that's wild right yeah yeah that's polycarp that's that's an amazing story and that's that's an earlier saint too he what was when was he born or did you? Did we have that? Do we know that? Uh, so that he was buried around uh, 156 AD. So I, okay. if he's 86 years old, that would put him born about 80 AD. Yeah. Okay. So we're we're talking we're talking early. Yeah. Whereas because the last one, Saint Francis, he was like 1182 AD. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that's way in the future. Now these are that that's a, a yes. early saint. Way and, and the interesting thing, I mean, he could have been a, a young man, an adolescent, or even a teenager listening to John the Apostle yeah. preach about Jesus. So awesome. Yeah. So when like John in his book says young men, you know, he might have just been like addressing Polycarp right there. So cool. Yeah. It's really neat. That really is. Well, that's that's that early generation, I would say, that that had that more unmovable faith because Mm -hmm. they were there closer to ground zero. That's true. Yeah. But a lot more things to deal with because yeah, there's no establishment. Not yet. to say that we can't have unmovable faith now. It's just when you're closest to, to Jesus in that time period, yeah. I, in that little era there, that's just what I'm referring to. Yeah, but. yeah, it's just it's incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. Well. Man, here we sit at the end of two characters, <laughs> Josh, and we're already up there in time. This mm-hmm. is uh, 
it was a little it was a little zealous, I would say, choosing six. We initially thought we were gonna do one episode, but this is obviously gonna be a two parter. Yeah, yeah, we're almost sputting up against an hour here, which is usually about what we try to do our programs recently. And so I think it's best to cut it here and come back. I I think the other two that I have are a little bit shorter. Yeah, mine are too. I okay. think we definitely knocked our our two uh, heavy hitters out first. So. Yeah, we'll just talk a little faster too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, yeah. we hope y'all enjoyed this. I, I really enjoyed the historical aspect and all of that. And the next ones we get into, um, they're they're going to be really interesting too. So definitely come back for part two because it's it's really cool to see these stories. Yes, and I almost want to make this an annual tradition on All Saints Day. Just to come back and look at maybe a few different ones each year. I think that'd be cool. I feel like there are a lot of interesting stories to tell because these are almost like profiles outside of a profile. Yeah, and I was I was even gonna say we every now and then might for a profile visit a saint or something. Mm -hmm. But or yeah, I like your annual idea too. So and if uh, this is resonating with you and you're like, hey, this saint has an interesting story, or I'd love to hear. the history of this person that you may not know a lot about, send it in and we will try to um, add them to the list. Yeah, absolutely. Always encourage you to reach out with uh, ideas you have like that. So feel free to do it. And we are so glad that you're with us. Please come back for episode two. And remember, you can always reach out through uh, connect at beasnakebird.com mm-hmm. and uh, give us a good review and uh, some stars if you feel us worthy to do so. It pushes the podcast out there to more ears. Yeah, uh, and connect with us through Facebook as well. And you can leave a review on Facebook or through Apple Podcasts. But, of course, you can listen to us on things like Spotify and Amazon and uh, Pandora and all kinds of places. So. Yeah, and and if you don't want to do any of that, that's totally cool. Just keep showing up <laughs> yeah. and having fun with us every yeah. week. It yeah. doesn't matter because it's, uh, it's all about learning and we're sharpening iron, so it's awesome. Yep, that's right. All right, Snakebirds, remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to be a part of sainthood. And, and be a snakebird. Bird.